Section 11 of Going Abroad, Some Advice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Going Abroad, Some Advice by Robert Lucy. Chapter 7. How to See. Up to times within the memory of living men, Almost no one of means traveled through Europe without a courier. Before railroads were built, and before good guide-books were printed, he was almost indispensable. His tribe survives, but in greatly diminished numbers. To the self-reliant traveler he is of no use whatever. Indeed, he is frequently a positive encumbrance, and worse. The time may have been when a courier could save a traveler more than his cost. Most certainly that is not the case now. On the contrary, as he gets a percentage on every purchase his party makes, which, of course, comes out of the purchaser in increased price, and as it is often for his interest to advise the more costly route, the more costly hotel or the more costly excursion, he eats up much more than his wages, while saving positively nothing. In a two-weeks trip in southern Spain, which we made side by side with a couple having a courier, we invariably reached the hotel first, got the better rooms, saw all the sights to as good advantage, yet the courier was of his kind an expert. The fact is that travel has become so general. Tourist companies, railroads, and landlords have so well studied its needs, books are so plentiful, that one couldn't very well get off the track or have a mishap if he tried. Doubtless the decay of the courier has also been in some measure due to the growth of the personally conducted party. Every year sees more Americans going abroad, under the guidance of people who make a business or an avocation of conducting tours. I have already alluded to some of the disadvantages of this mode of travel, such as the limitations of inflexible itineraries. It may with perfect fairness also be pointed out that many people find it distasteful to travel with the notoriety that attaches to a considerable group of sightseers. The name of the inventor of the excursion system has been made the basis of a generic term, and as the carriages of any large party roll along the boulevards of Paris, one may hear the comment, There go a batch of cookies. There is in fact no valid reason why one should feel chagrined at the comment, no valid reason why one should not enjoy art or architecture or scenery in the company of his fellow men, just as he enjoys music or acting or eloquence in their company. But logical or not, it is the fact that many of us prefer to wander through museums and cathedrals and palaces alone, or with few companions. Against this set, the helpfulness of a leader who knows in advance what is worth seeing and why and where, who abounds with pertinent anecdote and reminiscence, who can save time and trouble. Assume that he commands the language, that he is a past master in the art of timetables, that he is a connoisseur in the matter of restaurants, that he is a very Solomon in knowledge of hotels. May not the leadership of such a man be worth the buying? May not it pay to have a joint ownership for two or three months in this embodiment or experience? Perhaps so. But at any rate, it is worth while reckoning up the cost in advance. Some of the projectors of these personally conducted parties appear to set a pretty high valuation on their services, and their profits may or may not be warranted. Others are offering prices that are reasonable, even cheap. Of course, people take up this business like any other, for profit, and a fair profit should not be denied them, but it is a foolish customer who buys without any idea as to whether the goods are worth the money.
to determine it approximately, take the itinerary offered. Set down from $100 to $200 for the ocean passages, according to the steamer, cabin, and season. Multiply the aggregate of rail distance by the average figures for fares I have given in a preceding chapter. Allow $2.50 a day, the price of cook coupons, for continental hotel bills, and $3 a day in Great Britain. Throw in 50 cents a day for carriages, entrance fees, etc. The total will be not so very far from a reasonable price for the transportation and subsistence ordinarily offered. Whether the gain the tourist company or manager makes through discounts for parties, through the lower prices of hotels and towns, and in other legitimate ways, will offset the traveling expenses of the conductor by more than enough to give a fair profit, is a business problem that is the concern of the merchant and tours. I submit merely that he may not fairly demand much in excess of the gross, retail cost of transportation and subsistence. I have taken occasion to commend the helpfulness and courtesy of the tourist agencies. Let me here add that I have never heard their integrity questioned. Their managers and their agents surpass the average of businessmen in fair dealing and honorable methods. They are a useful and valuable factor in the world of travel, and they would not thrive if they were not helpful to many people. Their personally conducted tours and many of those organized by individuals are all right for people who like that sort of thing. Such people, however, need not quarrel with me because, of, to my mind, one of the great pleasures of travel is in learning travel by myself, and because I find satisfaction, pleasure, and education in planning routes, deciphering timetables, making bargains, learning by observation the lay of the land. Every place in Europe worth the seeing has its local guides, speaking your language better acquainted with the place than any courier can be, and usually to be employed at reasonable rates. Whether you will employ them depends entirely on your own tastes. Usually they are not indispensable. Often, however, they will take you to places it would be harder for you to find by yourself. Now and then, they know something the guidebook does not tell. If you are completely ignorant of the language, occasionally their services in interpreting will be of much help. London and Paris have bureaus of lady guides that I hear commended for their services in aiding both the sightseeing and shopping. The guides are said to be women of refinement and intelligence, and were not the word lady so vulgarly misused in the title of these institutions, an American woman might make use of them at least without prejudice and very lightly, with advantage. Whenever you hire a guide and he takes you to some place where fees are probable, Make him tell you before you enter what fees you are to give, thus determining the cost in advance and avoiding the embarrassment of consulting him in the presence of the person to be feed. If you plan to do a place by yourself, it is desirable to have a list prepared of the things to be seen, or at any rate to check them in the guidebook. Then, immediately on arrival at the hotel, ask when you can see places not certain to be accessible at all times. Museums are usually closed on one day of the week, Churches may be open only at certain hours. The times for these things frequently change, and no guidebook can keep up with all the changes. If you neglect this precaution, you may find a day wasted, and even miss altogether some important place that you might just as well have seen early in your stay. When time is an object, it is well to plan in advance your whole stay in any given city, allotting so much work to each day. The conscientious sightseer spends his evenings in studying up what he is to see the next day. To postpone reading up to a place till after you enter it often results in missing important features, or in not comprehending them. 
Any but an impecunious tourist should prescribe to himself the rule, never walk in order to save money. Or, if he insists on being parsimonious, let him reflect that time is money to a sightseer, and that if the journey is of the hurried variety, it is more profitable to save minutes than to save pennies. Cabs are plenty, and cab hire is cheap. Cars and buses abound in all the cities, and their fares are trivial. Distances are long in places like London and Paris, and one needs all his strength for the galleries and palaces and the other places where one must walk. A summer tourist should not begrudge twenty or thirty dollars for cabs. Yet it is not the fact that cabs always save the most time. If one is landed on the dock at Liverpool instead of the landing stage, he will find at the very outset that time will be saved if he will take the trouble to walk to the street and climb the stairs to the elevated train. It is several miles from the center of Liverpool to the docks of the American passenger boats, and the trains are the quickest way to cover them. Baggage can be sent in town safely by an expressman, and will be promptly delivered. The elevated train, too, gives the best chance to see Liverpool's biggest sight, the docks. Plebeian though it may seem, there is no better way to see the street life of a city than from the top of an omnibus. Virtually all the buses abroad and most of the streetcars have seats on top, often with a fare cheaper than that of the inside seats, yet far more desirable for the tourist. Women and men alike mount the steps, and though the aristocratic native will hire a cab when she does not use her own carriage, no American woman need fear ridicule or even embarrassment if she goes about on the top of a bus. At first she hesitates, but very soon the convenience and profit of seeing city streets from such a point of vantage overcome all scruples, and once accustomed to riding on top, nothing but rain will drive her inside. By the way, it is not the custom, and in Paris it is forbidden, to change from outside to interior while the bus or car is in motion. A novice who tried it in Paris relates to me, with amusement she did not at the time feel, how the conductor put her off the bus when a shower led her to change her place. On the continent, a sightseer who neglects the cafes and beer gardens misses one of the most diverting and instructive characteristics of European life. We Americans have come to entertain such a justifiable abhorrence of the drinking saloon that we find it hard to conceive of drinking resorts where decent, self-respecting people may congregate. And yet, just such resorts are the greatest daily pleasure of thousands on thousands of the temperate, respectable people of France and Germany and other continental nations. In the Latin countries, where wine is the most common beverage, the café tables choke the sidewalks during all the warm weather. In the Germanic countries, beer and orchestras appear inseparable, and the tables are usually in enclosures to which the potted shrubs give the name of gardens. Here, whole families come to gossip and listen. The drinking is the excuse, not the reason, and a glass or two of beer or wine or what we should call soda is quite enough of a pretext to occupy a seat during a whole evening. Anywhere in the Latin countries it is quite the proper thing, after a table d'hote dinner at the hotel, to find the best café in town and spend an hour or two over a cup of black coffee, looking at the illustrated papers, listening to music, chatting with other members of the party, or making the acquaintance easily picked up with one's neighbors. The traveler who doesn't do this will have many a long and lonely evening, besides throwing away his best chance to study the people from near at hand, and when they are most themselves. The parks furnish another pleasant way of observing the masses. To appreciate the love of a French father for his children and his intimacy with them, 
go to the Luxembourg Garden in Paris on a Sunday afternoon. See the modern Roman at his best, on the Pincian Hill toward sunset. Find out what vagaries the human mind can conceive by going from group to group on Hyde Park by the Marble Arch in London of a Sunday, and listening to the orators then reveling in free speech. Beware of trespassing on forbidden ground near fortresses, and of sketching or photographing where you may be arrested on suspicion of seeking dangerous information. Pickpockets are by no means a rarity abroad. It is said they frequent the Rhine steamers, all railway junctions, and especially the Italian cities. Personally, I have never suffered at their hands, nor met anybody who had suffered, but the ordinary precautions of travel are doubtless as wise in this matter abroad as at home. Sharpers are said to haunt the channel steamers, and on the larger transatlantic boats they sometimes fleece the unwary. It may be well to inform the masculine reader that half the questionable sights of Paris are arranged for his special benefit, with so much to be seen in Europe that is beautiful and elevating and refining. It is hardly worth while to spend time and money in the hunt for debasing spectacles that can be just as easily found in New York, if anybody cares to study the dark side of human nature. Delightful though it may be to have the guidance of some relative or acquaintance dwelling in the city you may be visiting, yet be careful about making demands on time that may be begrudged from business or study. The American youth who dwells abroad with serious motives cannot without a sacrifice lay down the brush or leave the piano stool in order to give hours to showing his callers about the town. The New York merchant does not expect to roam from the Riverside Drive to Coney Island with every Chicago or Louisville or Crossroads customer that visits Manhattan. Put yourself in the place of your host and conclude what may reasonably be expected or given in the way of time and entertainment. End of section 11.